So on behalf of the OC leadership team and the OC diversity team, I'm honored to introduce our guest speaker, uh, speaking on the topic of empathy, Jennifer Conzen. Now I'm going to take a minute and read her extensive bio yes. so that you can uh, properly understand exactly who it is that you are listening to. So Jennifer Conzen, lots of letters behind her name. Uh, then Dr. Conzen is the director for the Center of Sexuality in San Diego. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist and a certified chemical dependency counselor. She is also a two-time nationally award-winning researcher, an international speaker, an adjunct professor in San Diego at Bethel Seminary and Alliant International University and online at Rocky Mountain School of Ministry and Theology. Dr. Conzen is the author of The Art of Intimate Marriage, which uh, was referenced earlier by one of the brothers, which I also have been reading. Uh, good book, really good book. Um, and Redeemed Sexuality and the upcoming The Ransom Journey, Couples Recovery from Addiction. Jennifer has been married over 25 years and she and her husband, Tim, have four wonderful children she lives in San Diego, California, where she has been involved with shepherding and leading in the married and youth and family ministries. Let's uh, go ahead and give it up for Jennifer Conzen. <laughs> well, it is lovely to be here. And um, I am, I, I have to say I'm moved by the Orange County region's choice, uh, am I saying that right? Um, to go ahead and, and, and do this lesson live. Um, I, I had the joy of doing it for the Let Justice Roll conference. And I was kind of nervous about that conference. Um, you know, the focus of the conference was to really talk about justice, social justice, racial injustices, and, um, you know, I, as an older white woman coming to speak on empathy in that, in that sphere, um, was a little intimidating. Um, it is, it is reflective of a lot of the work I do where I'm helping people with relationships and how to, um, even in our differences, be, have intimate, close relationships. So this lesson came out of that. And I am just gonna, and actually I, I was, I meant to ask and I forgot to, as I met with you all a few minutes ago, I wasn't sure if we're ending right at 8.30 or if we have 15 minutes of questions after 8.30, because that will kind of decide. We, we have 15 minutes of questions. Okay, good. Because I, I kind of don't want to skip this, any of the slides. <laughs> and so um, I may have to anyway, but because there's, there's, a, there's a bit here to share. I'm just gonna jump right in. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to jump right in and share this lesson. And then you will have plenty to ask me hopefully afterwards. So the, the initial question I got, this was a part of the Telios journal was to write an article on how to deal with the anxieties during COVID and this year of lockdowns and, um, 
uh, social justice protests and how do we deal with anxiety in a year like this? And um, I really, I thought, I don't really want to write about anxiety. I want to write about what helps anxiety. <laughs> and I do think what makes a difference in how we deal with our tensions in life is just how connected we feel to one another. And if we feel like when we share our tensions, our worries, our anxieties, our pains, our sufferings, that the person who hears us has compassion and empathy and understanding. And so that is what created what you're gonna see here. Um, I'm a therapist. So a lot of my clients are couples, but I also see families and individuals. And in this last chunk of years, there's a lot of big issues that have come in my office. Um, everything um, to do with the Me Too movement and a woman's body and sexuality, all things political, of course, in the last couple of years, um, the women's role in the church, everything having to do with COVID, vaccines, health, raising kids in the midst of COVID, and then definitely things having to do with social justice and racism and the protests. And all of these issues really were have been and are impacting relationships. Um, and the relationships are like coworkers and colleagues, not just in the home, but also at people's work um, within the church, between um, people who are friends for a long time in the neighborhood, at church, you know, uh, other fellow disciples, where these differences on these issues have been causing friction in, in, in our discipling relationships among friends in families. So I have parents who see me who are in conflict with their kids. I have adult children who see me who are in conflict with their parents and don't know how to talk about it, about these issues um, or siblings. Um, and then definitely I see quite a bit of couples and I have husbands and wives who think differently about these issues and it's causing conflict and having mm, connection through these differences has been challenging. And then definitely there's a lot of conflict online, um, <laughs> Facebook and all kinds of social media. So how do we discuss these? These are really important topics. Everything I just listed, they're really important. So how do we talk about it in ways that unite us and bring us closer to those that we love, live with, work with, and worship with? How do we do that? And I do think the answer is empathy. I want to just give you some background, though, of what is important in learning and living out empathy. It's really difficult to have empathy for someone else if we don't first understand our own emotions and our own feelings. Um, one of the things we know from research on empathy is that individuals who have a hard time having empathy for others, it's often because they, they haven't had a background in which they've been able to recognize their own emotions and express them and manage them in healthy ways. Maybe, and this is just so often where people grow up in families where there's just not a freedom to express how you feel that, um, sharing uncomfortable emotions. There just wasn't an openness to that. Or unfortunately, 
sometimes when we have that background, then we come into the church body and it's all exciting being a disciple, but somewhere along the way, we can sometimes do the same thing in our spiritual family where being real and open and honest about our emotions, we don't have that place to do that. So one of the places that's really important to start is understanding and identifying your own emotion. Because when someone comes to you, especially about a really tough topic, when they come and share their hurts and their sadnesses, your own body actually reacts. We know this, they call them the mirror neurons, that your neurons of your brain literally start mirroring what you're seeing in the other person. If they're tense, your tenseness can go up. And a lot of times people aren't even aware of that. They try to be all calm, but the heart rate can be up. And so learning to identify what you're feeling is a huge part of what makes you more able to have an empathic response to what someone else is going through. So, you know, when you think about those issues I brought up on an earlier slide, you may have had all kinds of different emotions over the last couple of years, some fear. I know I have some disgust about things you've heard and seen, or been a part of some anxiety, some anger, some sadness, um, one of the places I usually start with in helping people to get to the point of empathy is saying, when you felt that, when you feel anxious, where do you feel it in your body? When you feel anger, where is it? Is it in your stomach, your shoulders, your face? Where is it? Often we don't even know what we're feeling and where it is. And, and we're not aware of a lot of times people don't pay attention to where their emotions are in their body. And so therefore they might not be that skilled or able or experienced in then saying how they feel and managing it. So how are you doing on this as far as recognizing your own emotion? And when you feel emotion, what do you do with it? So everybody do this with me for a moment, practice with me, go ahead and take a breath in your nose and out your mouth, blow it out till there's nothing left in your nose and out your mouth till there's nothing left. You know, when someone comes to you distressed, sad, angry, one of the things I actually tell people to do first is while they're talking with you, breathe. In fact, practice it beforehand when your own emotions are happening breathe. We, we can really focus on, you know, taking every thought captive, which I have all kinds of thoughts on how we use that scripture. But one of the things that we don't do is we don't slow it down and have compassion about our own emotions and slow it down and go, Oh, I'm feeling distressed right now. I'm feeling sad right now. I'm feeling scared right now. I'm feeling worried and breathing. So I said before we actually started today, <laughs> I was just listening to a podcast on um, leadership self-care. And one of the things they talked about is that when people aren't practicing good rest and good Sabbath skills and learning how to do good self-care, they have a hard time being empathetic <laughs> and compassionate. When your tank is empty, it's super hard to fill up someone else's tank. I am, um, they just said I'm from, I'm in Alaska and I am, I'm, I'm on a personal retreat. It's a 10 day retreat. I'm on my eighth day. 
of solitude with just me and God, I have been singing and praying and reading and meditating. I didn't even know all these really cool ways to meditate. I'm learning a ton and resting (laughs) just me and God. I've literally spent eight days with just God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I decided all four of us would be kind of even more fun. And it's been, I've never done this before and it's been wonderful. So ask yourself, first of all, how are you doing in your own, taking care of your emotions? Um, It will make you much more able to be there for other people. So let's go ahead and define empathy. What is it? That's what we're kind of aiming for today is how to be in a place. Number one, I gave you some ideas to get yourself in a good place. And then how to be in a place when someone does come to you with something you either disagree with, or they're just really riled up about it, or they're really sad. And you just want to say, it's okay. God's got it. And maybe they don't need that answer yet. What do you do when someone comes to you with distressed emotions? Empathy is what we're aiming for. So let me explain that. Literally one of the definitions, these are all from research, by the way, um, It's fun when the Bible, when the research actually supports what you know in the scriptures, the ability to understand and react to what others think, feel, and experience in a way that allows us to perceive their point of view and resonate with their emotions. You'll notice here, it doesn't say agree with their emotions. It says resonate with them and perceive them. Another one, empathy is the ability to shift. This is so Philippians too, is the ability to shift from a self-centered focus to an other-centered focus in order. So the purpose of it is to understand and experience their emotional perspective. I like this one too, the ability to enter a person's private perceptions, how they see the world, how they feel, and to somehow... And this is kind of a key communicate this understanding where the other person feels like "Ah, he understood, (gasps) she she understood. So that would be one of the goals. Um, (laughs) I, it's funny, the icons that this slide automatically gave me, um, it showed, um, uh, the, the, the light bulb, and then it showed the brain (laughs) and it didn't show a heart. (laughs) Well, that's what empathy is really about is moving uh, the heart, the viscera of your body. So how do we do that? We'll get there. Um, There are some benefits to empathy. We actually know that when people experience empathy in their life, it lowers their anxiety. It strengthens their relationships. By the way, this is all from research. It improves police citizen interaction. It improves employer-employee relationships and the quality of work life. It lowers prejudice and racial tension. This uh, research was done in multiple different areas of the world, the the one on prejudice and racial tension. That motivates someone to serve and give to others when they have empathy. It lowers aggressive behavior. They've studied, say, teaching children not to bully, and it lowers aggressive behavior. It promotes conflict resolution. And it lowers substance abuse and hence the new book I have coming out. Um, It has a huge empathy has a huge impact on relationships. It's glue that makes intimate relationships. I'm not talking about sexually intimate relationships. I'm talking about intimate friendships, parent, child connected relationships. Yes. Marital best friends, um, 
minister to member, um, discipling relationships, all intimate relationships. It's the glue that makes them satisfying. We do know that, it, that when someone expresses empathy, it can lower the defensiveness of the, of the other person. Apologize, it makes the apology feel real. <laughs> when somebody really understands, then when they make an apology, you know, when someone says, oh, I'm sorry, but they don't really understand, it doesn't feel very good. And it can lead to forgiveness. That's a good place to go. Empathy and good communication skills do help couples who are dealing with mental health challenges. I have a number of couples that work with me who one might have depression or anxiety and empathy for what someone's going through makes a huge difference on how they can be a we in dealing with that challenge. It's life-giving, it's relationship building. And when people experience empathy, again, we know this from medical research, they are physically and mentally better. Their mental health, their physical health is stronger. So it's a good idea and it's biblical. Isaiah 63, verse nine. And this is speaking of our father, our God, in all their distress, he too was distressed. God is empathy. He is the example of empathy. Um, in Jeremiah 31, Ephraim, my dear son, my heart yearns for him. This literally in the Hebrew means my bowels are troubled. So the viscera is moved when we're empathetic. He took note of their distress when he heard their cry. These are all about the heart of God. God is a God of empathy. You hear the desire of the afflicted and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. I think we need to be like God and we need to learn from him how to care like that. By the way, I will send all of these slides so you guys can have them and they can, you can get them all. So, um, what else? Praise. I love, this is like one of my top favorites. Praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So that's who we need to learn from. And then who do we get to see it in? Who's his exact image? We see it in Luke seven. There's a funeral going by and the widow, it's her son that has died. And it says about Jesus in Luke seven, that his heart went out to her. It literally, this is it's a big, long word. It means his bowels were moved, right? Just like we saw in the Hebrew about God, Jesus is the exact image. He literally, his heart went out to her. His bowels were moved, his gut clenched. Empathy is literally a physiological, ugh. and we get to see it in God's heart. We get to see it in Jesus. Paul talks about it. He says, who is weak? And I don't feel weak. He tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So it actually being empathetic is a command from the scriptures here. So the problem is <laughs> some of us aren't very good at it <laughs> and I'm one of them. I mean, I am not an, I'm a therapist, but I am not a naturally empathetic person. 
I, uh, I tell you, being a disciple has helped me learn empathy, but being a therapist has helped me become a little bit more like Jesus. I have, uh, I've had to do my own growing in empathy. So let me show you some stuff. Cause some of you might be like, I'd really, I, you might be thinking, I really hope my spouse learns this. I really hope my mom's listening, you know, the kind of jab we give, to but you yourself might have a question. Can I learn empathy? And let me show you what they know. Um, we know that teaching empathy build conflict resolution skills instead of bullying. This is literally, they've done studies where people weren't empathetic to start with, and they went through some things to be taught empathy. And then they, they turned out more empathetic after the research, those diagnosed with autism, narcissism, schizophrenia, and different forms of psychopathology developed empathy skills. So mental health issues, doctors and nurses learned to feel and express empathy while in medical training husbands who had committed infidelity learned to respond with empathy rather than defensiveness and minimization to their partner's expressions of pain. That's pretty significant for the work I do. And then there's multiple studies where people learn to adopt the other person's perspective to become more open and respectful in their communication and to have a greater desire. I love this word here to validate others. Okay. So how do we get there? <laughs> I do think um, some of getting to the point of feeling empathy, we have to understand what happens when someone doesn't feel empathy. You might be in a relationship and your spouse, your, your sibling, your coworker, the person you're in a discipling relationship with, your family member, your friend might not be feeling empathy from you. And empathy has a pretty, lack of empathy has a pretty big impact. In fact, in families where children don't feel that kind of understanding and validation from their parents and empathy from their parents, it can create long-term can create um, what we now know as complex PTSD. So trauma symptoms where literally um, it impacts someone's life lifelong and leaves all kinds of, of the different um, symptoms that you think of with PTSD. Um, uh, the word we might use more often is emotional neglect or abandonment. The term I use in uh, my work with couples is attachment wounds, where this person that you're, who's supposed to take care of you, but they don't take care of you emotionally and it creates wounds. And that happens in childhood, but then it also happens in our adult relationships. Somebody that's supposed to care for you or a partner that's supposed to care for you or a close friend, and then they're not empathetic at a really important time, it's pretty painful. And so I think a part of learning empathy is learning the pain of the lack of empathy and, and, and understanding how unlike God that is. There are, there's different kinds of barriers that get in the way of empathy. And the barriers are not just the person who's listening. The barriers are also the person who's speaking so who's sharing how they're feeling or what they're going through or what happened that day or something they feel passionately about or something they're angry about, there can be barriers to being, to being heard when you're the one sharing it. And there can be barriers to hearing when you're the one hearing it. And they can be a number of different things, but definitely reckless words. Um, I think as when we're the person talking and sharing, we need to take responsibility for our words and how 
sharp they can be, how piercing they can be that we're, I, I know as a mom, I, I, like, I so want to get through to my kid about this thing that's so important. So I'll, I feel like if they're not responding and their face is kind of meh, I, I say it stronger or with, or with more pointed words as if that's going to get through and it doesn't. And then we can become reckless and harmful with our words trying to get through or whew, annoyance. <laughs> Fools show their annoyance at once. Maybe you're sharing, isn't listening, or you're the person listening and you're just feeling really annoyed with what they're sharing. Annoyance can be a huge barrier. I think annoyance though really overlaps with selfishness a bit. Um, here's some scriptures on it. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgments starts quarrels. So selfishness can get in the way. Fools find, there's fools again, got the fool's cap. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Maybe you're quick to, when someone shares how they're feeling, you're quick to just tell your own opinion, your own thought. Oh, well, didn't you know? Well, but that's not, you know, you have some quick comeback instead of listening and having empathy. And I love this one. It's very helpful in Proverbs 18 to answer before listening. Here's folly again. <laughs> that is folly and shame. So there's quite a few biblical barriers. You can mine those scriptures quite a bit. I think another one is an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Honestly, sometimes when someone's coming to you to share something they feel strongly about or sad about or anxious about, especially if it's towards you, like they're upset with you in some way, we can get, <laughs> this is actually a citadel. <laughs> we can get like this picture, these what we, our walls go up, we get defensive and it makes us unyielding, right? And boy, that <laughs> it's going to be a little hard to feel empathy in that situation. <laughs> if you've never, uh, you can see it on YouTube. It's not about the nail, write this down, go watch this. It's such a funny video where <clears throat> she's trying to express to him that she has got a pressure in her head and you don't see her uh, face in the first part of the video. And then, then it, the, the camera pans and he's like, um, you have a nail in your head. Some of us, what gets in the way of our empathy is we want to fix the nail, um, take the nail out, you know, fix the problem and all, you know, it'll all be better. <laughs> And so you can just see him here. Look at his facial expressions. You know, um, he's trying to reassure her. He's trying to explain, maybe getting a little defensive. He's trying to fix it. And look at the teaching face at the bottom. These words are important for you to remember. If you're not a good listener and you have empathy deficits, that's what I call them. If you have empathy skill deficits, you might give in to these. You might reassure too quickly. You might explain whatever it is they're sharing with you too fast. You might try to fix it. You might try to teach them, get all teachy, or you might get prideful and defensive and feel attacked. And these, these can cause all kinds of challenges. And I want to share, <laughs> I was actually putting this lesson together and I just happened to, while I was doing it, I was clicking on some different things and I ended up on some social media and it was, you know, just about four months ago. And this social thing on um, Facebook, it was a woman who had some very strong feelings about masks. And she was on a, um, a boat 
uh, going across a big body of water. And she's, she's a popular caster on Facebook. And she says, and I saw people in the ocean air. And she was talking about, they were wearing masks in the ocean air. And I was, I was watching her Facebook thing, her video, and I could feel my face. I just, the way she was talking was revolting. She was so dismissive of this, of these other people's choices. She was, her disdain was really strong. So I'm watching the video and all of a sudden I realized my face looked the same as hers. <laughs> and I felt disdain for her disdain, right? I'm, we can, we can have all kinds of emotions and feelings that come out on our face. And maybe some of you are just better at show, covering it up and not showing it on your face. But we do that, right? When we look at other people's opinions and we go, ah. I grew up with a dad who used to make that sound. Ah. Ah. It's just such a disgusted sound about someone else's view. That will really be a barrier to understanding and empathy and compassion. I do think another big thing that gets in the way is it, this is from the work I do as a therapist. It's called a stance and I call it the super reasonable stance. It's when someone gets kind of, let me tell you what you should know to deal with this issue you're bringing up. And it's like, they've got the Bible in their hand and they're pointing to the verse and saying, let me explain this to you. And they're very calm. They're the calm one. You're the really excitable one. And I'm the calm one. And let me help you with your over whatever. Uh, so this is called the super reasonable. And it's the, the way I explain it, it is as a paternalistic calm. Let me be the calm father of the family. Well, I do think this stance can be very destructive in multiple ways. It definitely makes people feel dismissed and not heard, but it also puts this person, especially, um, especially puts this person in, if they're in a place of power, if they are a person in charge and they're using the whole, let me correct you all stance, it can be um, very destructive. And so for those, this is a, class that was a part of um, Let Justice Roll. And I was at the time reading The Color of Compromise. If you haven't yet read this, it's an, an, just an amazing book. And in it, he talks about the thinking that the Christian slave owners had. And this is the, the paragraph. It's about midway during the book. Under paternalistic Christianity, the slave plantation was seen as a household with the male enslaver as the benevolent patriarch. A Christian slave owner would care for his enslaved people as a father cares for his own children. Like in the name of, in, 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 in such a, a, a way that caused centuries of damage and pain and trauma people like this stance of I'm the one helping people. And it's really vital that we recognize the damage this power and pride can do. Luke 22, Jesus talks about it. 
He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves, I'm a benefactor. You are not to be like that. So often, I think this is a really important barrier in our superiority, in our, I'm helping you, don't you know that? Stance, we can really lack understanding, validation, and empathy. So these are some things often we, we have to break through. And this is who we get to imitate. Just as a reminder, our God, who is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That's who we, this is the paternalistic <laughs> we should imitate, not the one I just showed you. This is the father, the paternal that we should imitate uh, of compassion and of comfort. Oh, look at Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he's speaking about people who just tried to kill him and push him off a cliff. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. And then as he approached Jerusalem, this is in six chapters later and saw the city, he wept over it. Oh, Jerusalem, hear the longing. This is our example. When you, he, people were trying to kill him. This is how much they disagreed with what he was saying. And his heart towards them was, I want to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, which is amazing. He's using this very mother feminine image to say, this is what I, this is the longing I have about the very people who were trying to kill him. And then he looks out over the city and he weeps. This is the gut being moved, right? The empathy that he has for people who were in opposition to him. This is our goal. Okay. So practically, <laughs> how do we do it? How do we get there? I would say the next time you're in a conversation with someone, breathe. When they come to you, when your kid comes to you, when your friend comes to you, when your coworker comes to you, when your spouse comes to you, anyone, and they are sad, angry, hurt, frustrated, anxious, don't answer. <laughs> don't say anything. Before you say anything, breathe and do what I just said. Just, let's all practice it one more time. Breathe in the nose and out the mouth. These issues that we've been inundated with the last few years, breathe again in the nose. On sexuality and the women's body and the Me Too movement, breathing again. And on politics. And on COVID and coronavirus, breathing in. And on racial and social justice, breathing in again. And on the women's role, as you think about these issues and as someone comes to you with something they feel strongly about with these issues, breathe. If you find yourself having a hard time 
you, your, your heart rates up. So what will happen is someone comes to you and they're upset or they're sad or they're frustrated and your body starts, your own body, your heart rate will start to pick up. You might need to say, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. And I, I want to be able to, to respond in a way that will be helpful. So I can feel myself just, you know, having my own strong reaction to what, what we're talking about. So, you know what, I think I need to take a time out and just go do some breathing and pray and, and, and walk. Can we talk about this in about 30 minutes? Can we talk about this in an hour? Can we talk about this after the service? Can we talk about this after dinner tomorrow? You don't have to respond right then. You can take a break, let them know you're really grateful. They shared that you need some space to work through your own feelings. Cause you know what, remember what we talked about earlier, you probably do need that space. So take the time out. You don't have to answer right then. And if you do take the time out, use it well, go walk, go get some input, um, read some scriptures, pray, pray, pray. I've been praying for eight days straight. It's been wonderful. <laughs> um, well, I pray every day, but you know what I mean? <laughs> There's just commune with God, go commune with him, give him time. And then if you're going to come into the conversation again, maybe you're the person that talked and someone took a break and you're like, wait a minute, why are you taking a break? I want to talk about this right now. And they ask for a timeout and you're like, no, honor someone's request for a timeout. And then remember this, maybe... <laughs> Just maybe they needed the timeout because maybe the way you were coming was really strong. Uh, the person who's listening, by the way, don't tell the other person, I think you need a timeout. That never works. If you're wondering, don't ever tell another person to take it or you just need to calm down. That doesn't work either. Instead, notice your own heart rate and ask for the timeout. Not, you know what? I don't like how you're talking right now. I need a timeout. No, don't do that. Say, I can feel myself reacting. I need some time out. Then if you're the person who is coming and wanting to talk, consider how you start the conversation. Gottman, who's a researcher out of Seattle, calls it a softened startup. That um, To be able to say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. And do you have a minute? Could we talk about something? Where you're giving them a heads up softening the startup. Hey, there's something I'm feeling about something you said, or, Hey, um, there's something I'm feeling about what I read yesterday or something I heard today. I need, you know, so yes, remember the reckless words pierce like a sword. So think about your startup back to the person who's listening. I just realized I only gave input to the person speaking on one of these icons, but <laughs> well, okay. If you're going to share, you could probably pray beforehand too. Most of these, the input here anyway, is for the person listening. When the person does share and you're in a good spot, you're ready to listen and understand. Proverbs 4, 7 says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. When you are in that space where you want to understand, then you can start asking some questions. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says that the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters and a man of understanding draws them out. Again, don't reassure them. Don't fix it. Don't go to a solution. Don't fix it. Don't even, 
Don't even reassure. Don't apologize yet. (laughs) You can do all that later. First, ask questions and draw them out. And then the biggest key, and you can actually read more about validation in the uh, three chapters of my book, The Art of Intimate Marriage. And you can also listen to it on my website. It's also called The Art of Intimate Marriage. Anybody can listen to it, married or not. Theartofintimatemarriage.com. You can learn some more about validation. But validation is the process of saying, ah, that makes sense that you would feel that way. I'm so glad you shared it with me. I can understand how that would make you feel that like what you're saying is valid. What you're saying makes sense. That's a little glimpse of what validation looks like. And it's a vital response. Let me emphasize again, the importance of while you're listening, because then they might share some more, identify your own emotions, take a breath. I call it putting them on the shelf temporarily so that you can remember though it cost all you have get understanding. So don't ignore how you feel. In fact, a lot of times people try to zip their lips and shove their emotions under the carpet and get rid of them. And that's not helpful. If you're feeling judged by the person coming to talk to you, if you're feeling annoyance, if you're feeling your own anxiety, notice it and then Philippians to it, <laughs> you know, uh, consider others better than yourself where your temp, you're not going to shove it and zip it and get rid of it. You're just going to temporarily set it aside so that you can focus on the person coming to you, taking the breath the whole time. So identify your own emotion, give it some room because you might have some things to share with somebody, if not this person, somebody with God about how you're feeling, about what what just came up maybe with them. So your goal is, remember what the definitions of empathy are, is to get in their shoes. I want to understand why she views it that way. I want to understand why does he see it that way? So she felt this. Wow, I didn't feel that. I want to understand why she felt that way. I felt differently. But I don't necessarily have to share that right away. I can temporarily set that aside and decide I'm going to ask her why she felt that way. I'm going to ask him why that's his perspective. And I want to get in their shoes. So this is the idea of what you call perspective taking. I want to now that I've taken some breaths, I've drawn it out, and now I want to get in their shoes and see if I can see it from their angle in their shoes. There are some really practical ways that you can um, learn this on a larger scale when it comes to social justice. You can actually um, participate in uh, learnings. Let me tell you, this is happening all over the world. The Israeli and Palestinian mothers and daughters groups. Oh my goodness. It's such fascinating understanding of what these moms and daughters have done. They're on opposite spectrums, racially, religiously, culturally, and they sit around and they talk, they talk and hear each other's stories and find out about each other's lives. These are people on opposite spectrums with race and politics and religions and beliefs and health. And yet they get together and they eat and they talk. 
to learn about it by learning some more about the restorative justice movement, is, which is where someone who's committed a crime, it's one of the avenues of restorative justice is where someone has committed a crime and there is a restorative, restorative process with them and the person they've harmed, their victim, including with murder and everything down from there. Restorative justice is, we actually have a huge program on it in San Diego at SDSU. And you can really learn these words, truth, restitution, reconciliation. These are worldwide programs where if this is something that's important to you, um, helping people have empathy across country borders, racial borders, ethnic borders, cultural boundaries, um, there are ways that you can participate in a larger scale. Um, this is actually from my article, and I just want to end with this before we go to questions. Um, as we look at God, we learn empathy. He is abundantly present when we face trouble. It's hard to be present if our heart rate's up. That's why the timeout's important. He is abundantly present when we face trouble. He has engraved us on his very hands. Jesus has literally experienced all levels and all senses, every temptation we have. The pain that we feel, he has felt in his body. That's his empathy right there. He can literally, literally he did it, get into our shoes. He put eternal spiritual body into human flesh. That is the ultimate perspective taking, experiencing all our pain and our weakness so that he could love us and save us. God is not distant. He walks among us. When I feel distress, he feels distress. When I ache or mourn or cry, he places my tears in his bottle. Ooh, find that scripture. Jesus is literally moved at a gut level when he sees our pain. He is the exact representation of God. God is ever present in our trouble and puts himself in a human body to be there with us. He is a God of deep, unending, incomparable empathy. So let us also learn to embody him. So that is what I have for you today. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer. We are all uh, deeply struck and moved. Uh, this is so inspiring, so helpful. Uh, and no matter where we're at and how we connected with all the things that you mentioned, uh, it's great that we can receive this kind of, uh, you know, guidance and uh, training, uh, you know, regardless of what are the things that we're uh, personally attached to uh, that may be, you know, God calling us to, to grow in our uh, and being empathetic towards. Let's go ahead and let's take up some Q&A. All right, Corey, is that you? Go ahead. Yeah, awesome. Uh, awesome lesson. It, everything was just so great about it. Um, I, one of the things that I wanted to ask, and uh, if you had input on it, that'd be great. Uh, obviously, you know, doing stuff, you know, for 
Christ, being able to do a lot of Bible studies, talking to a lot of people, um, they all have completely different backgrounds with things. And there's definitely been a handful of people in my life that I've talked to, that I've discipled, whom have gone through things that I honestly have never even imagined happening inside of my life. And so learning how to have empathy for people to, you know, in these situations, because obviously they they will react in certain ways based off of their past, based off of things that I've never experienced or maybe never will experience. How, how, it, how has it been for you if you've learned how to have empathy um, for this kind of things in people's lives? I just love that, that question, Corey, because, um, and I appreciate your honesty, you know, that um, you want to, um, and yet you have an awareness that you don't, you haven't lived their life and you haven't lived their story. And I, I would say, I, I sort of mentioned it earlier, but when I just slow down and take the time to let someone tell me their story, um, God just moves most of the time. Um, I even think of, I'll just say it, Martine's on today. Um, during everything going on, I called Tina and I, I just asked her how she was doing last year. And she shared some stories about uh, it. I, I got off the phone with her and, you know, I'd gone from, from feeling uh, to just much bigger because she got to share with me somebody I care about and somebody I know got to share with me her experience. Um, we've had different workshops here in San Diego on these different issues, the very ones I'm talking about and some others. And I generally during the breaks, I go find somebody and I say, Hey, how's this been for you? And, and then I just ask them questions and let them tell me about what we're learning and how it's personally affected them because I haven't been in their shoes. I don't know what they've gone through. And so I would say one of the first things I learned, I had to, I was in my master's program and I had to write a paper on if I was someone of a different, if I had grown up someone of a different gender and of a different racial background than mine, what would my life have been like possibly. So we had to interview people and then write on it. Well, I'm in the family of God. So I chose being Hispanic and a male. So I went and asked three brothers who are Hispanic about what their experiences had been. I had known these brothers, each of them for about 15 years. And I just asked them, one of them was in his sixties uh, and the other two were like in their thirties and forties. And, oh, my goodness, the stuff they shared with me. I was doing this for a paper for school and just hearing what their upbringing, what they experienced and what had happened to them last week. The, the two younger guys, literally things had happened to them on their jobs where someone had made some racially motivated comment. And I, I'd known, I was honestly a bit ashamed of myself having known them for so long and having no idea what their story was. So I would say the easiest place to start is just let people ask people to share their stories and listen. I've got one, um, Martine. Okay, um, okay. 
uh, this person asks, I spoke about mirroring. Is this healthy to take this on? How do we process someone else's pain in a healthy way? So glad you asked this question. Some of us, not myself, but some of you out there are actually more empathic naturally. You were just born that way. You naturally care more about other people's feelings than someone like me does. And so you can get overly wrapped into how they're feeling. And so I would say, yes, it can be unhealthy. That's actually why a lot of therapists burn out. They don't. And that's why a lot of ministers can burn out. And a lot of people who are caring can burn out from relationships because they don't know how to balance um, their own how much something affects them. I would say when you notice that um, you're having a, a challenging time, almost overly taking in someone's pain, two things. One, learning um, to breathe is huge. And then learning really good self-care. You need to make sure that your rest and your relaxation is going well, that you're getting filled up it will help you be more present. If you, if you haven't yet been practicing my, my college age, my youngest child, I have four kids and my, my baby said to me about nine months ago, do you believe in Sabbaths and do you practice them? And I said, well, I don't think they're a command. I do think God wants us to practice them. I think, and no, I don't because I'm a hypocrite. And so I've repented. Um, I would say, go get the care you need if you're an if you're a very empathic person but then also if you find yourself becoming overwhelmed by someone else's sharing you may need that break and there are times where you just might need some healthy boundaries somebody who continually comes and <laughs> you're such a good listener and they just keep coming to you i'm just going to quickly say this without much detail there are times where you do need to have healthy boundaries in relationships on just how much you can listen and how much you can take in. And, and that might be getting some good input on, on, on that kind of boundary. Excellent. Cynthia, go ahead. Okay. Um, I sort of heard you last week, um, especially the breathing part. So this is good. Um, I was invited by Bobby Doan from California because I'm in Texas, Houston, as a matter of fact. So um, I had a situation at church. We were having a group meeting and someone was talking to someone and then the other person said, I want to hear everybody, but I'm offended that's offensive that you're talking while someone else is talking. And then I saw, I immediately the spirit in the room changed. Mm. And what I wanna know is, was I right or wrong because I felt it, the shift. Yeah. And so I said, and I'll just sit them named young lady, are you offended by what you just heard? And she said, yeah, actually I am because I was just talking to this one about what y'all were talking about. And then two more ladies said, 
Well, yeah, I was kind of offended too. And then the lady who did the offense asked me, how would you have said this differently? Mm -hmm. And the other lady who she was originally talking to, because I said, I want us to handle this now. And because I feel it in the room, can we just kind of clear the air on this? Because what we as Christians do, we hear things that bother us instead of addressing it. We just leave and then you go to talking about it later to someone else or you get madder and madder and then you just leave the group and you never come back. So then I felt like I did the wrong thing by bringing it up, but I wanted everybody to leave the meeting healthy. Mm. Because another lady did say, well, I was going to go to her and talk to her privately and ask her because she was talking about scripture you know, go to them on your own. If that doesn't work, then bring a council or a group of all of that. Was I right with what I did or should I have just kept my mouth shut? <laughs> that is such a great question. You know, so if you look at the scripture, right, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. That's Matthew 18. And then you also look at Paul who like confronts Peter in front of everybody. <laughs> so which one are we supposed to do? Um, <laughs> I'd say breathe. <laughs> so I love that you said that first, take a breath, because I think sometimes we need to invite the spirit in. Um, um, a good chunk of the time, the lesson has a hard time getting through if the person we're trying to share it with is not in a place to hear. Um, so consider, will this be effective and productive, right? That in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be effective and productive. So I just usually pray. And I literally, this will happen when I'm in a therapy session. It'll happen when I'm in a conflict with somebody. And then I don't do it with my own children. It's terrible. My, my, my son brought something up and I got reactive really fast. And I said something really fast. And then he left the room and I was like, oh boy, I should have filmed that one and shown it for my next workshop. I did not in any way put into practice. Sometimes we react so quickly that we don't give the spirit time to work. Right. And so that's where the breath can slow it down. I would say a good chunk of the time taking someone privately is just so, so powerful. I was in a meeting and it was a, an evangelist actually, who he opened up the conversation, everybody give your thoughts. And then this one person shared their thoughts. And he just, this was like 20 years ago. He, he just went, he was like, he just squashed it. And the whole feeling of the meeting changed. Right. And I'm sitting there and he's like my discipler, <laughs> his wife. And I'm like, I can't say anything. It took me three days because I was a wimp then. But in about three days, I came to him and I said, hey, I wanted to share something with you. This is what happened. He told my husband later, he goes, I wanted to get so defensive. He goes, I had to really pray because I was like, Jennifer, don't you tell me how to run my meetings. But I just needed, I needed time. And then I was able to come and tell him, and he said it was super helpful to him because he, he did it in meetings like quite a bit. And so I told him, I said, I just want you to know you do it kind of often. So sometimes when you have the space and the time, then you can say the truth. So this is the whole speak the truth in love. We need to be honest. We do say and do offensive things. 
and wrong things, and we need to confront it. So how to confront it, how to speak the truth in love. Are we going to be Paul confronting a Peter? Is that where it needs to happen? Which since it only happened (laughs) a few times, I think we ought to be careful for how often we do it that way. Most of the time, I would say giving people the space and the time, I'd say that where you want to leave them with their dignity, Um, you can still speak the truth, but do it in a way where they can hear you. So is it effective and productive? I hope that's helpful. I I do have to say good for you, at least speaking up (laughs) because so often we don't. Okay. Um, Someone says, I've recently said something sharp to someone I'm reaching out to and he was slandering and saying harsh things about the Bible and we agreed to meet tomorrow and talk about it. I've applied myself to be compassionate, but I've had enough of the the accusations against the Bible. How can I embrace empathy? Do you think it's worth my time? (laughs) Sometimes the thing that you want to talk about is truth. And how do you, Jesus, I mean, I just, I'm reading the gospels right now. I've been actually studying them for the last two years and I'm in John right now. I mean, you know, Jesus just says it like it is sometimes, right? But you know what he does most of the time? It's crazy. They come to him and they're accusing him of lying and of being Beelzebub. And he just teaches them. And then he teaches them. And then he teaches them again. And then he teaches them again. When you actually look, we know the scriptures where he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, where he's talking to the Pharisees. He does that more than, he does that quite a bit with them. But most of the time when people challenged and had really yucky responses to the Bible, most of the time he patiently taught. So I would say pray, uh, uh, Paul talks about it quite a bit, that we need to um, be gentle in our responses. Second Timothy 2 um, verse 25, I think, where he says, uh, they've been entrapped by the devil and we need to respond with gentleness actually, um, so that they can be, uh, released from their entrapment. So a lot of the times, honestly, when you're feeling something really strongly about someone's really poor reaction, you're probably right. But how you respond to them, if you can listen with empathy and figure out where they're, why are they saying it so strongly? So I would say before you correct them and tell them what they should say and how they should think, first find out, this is the asking questions, Proverbs 20 verse five, first find out why they're responding that strongly, why they're talking like that. So ask questions I always tell people before you give that input, before you give those challenging statements, you better know what you're challenging and you won't know until you ask. So ask and draw it out. If I didn't get to answer your question, I would love to hear your questions. Um, Or if you need any other care, um, jenniferconson at yahoo.com is my email. So let's do this. Maybe we can move on here into the, uh, the miner's going to share something. And then for the people that, uh, uh, have those questions, maybe we can stay on five minutes afterwards Perfect. Uh, and answer those questions. Thank you so much, uh, Jennifer. This has been amazing. And I uh, will transition here to, uh, Jay and Tracy Miner. Awesome. Uh, Thanks so much, Martine. Jennifer, we cannot thank you enough for being with us tonight. And uh, I just, I, I'm, it's even hard for me to properly put it into words because I think the, the significance of this topic for our church is just huge. 
And uh, given everything that has gone on, you know, over the last year, last 18 months, um, the opportunity for us to, to really try to apply these things, if we can, if we can allow God to move us in this way, yeah. the, what we can do in our communities, what we can do in our neighborhoods, the kind of impact that we can have on people, I just think is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the world around us is just desperate. Uh, for somebody to understand them and somebody to listen to them. Um, I think that people within our own church um, are desperate for people to hear them and understand them. And um, and so some of these tools are just so incredibly helpful. And uh, so, uh, yeah, we just really want to thank you for sharing all this with us tonight. It was great. Exactly. I'm I'm so grateful. Um, I think that we have such an opportunity here in Orange County to um, practice, put these things into practice. I, I know for me, I have um, really responded to <laughs> the, the, when I am validated, this is something yeah. I've you know, been learning is um, once, if I feel validated and just somebody has, will actually um, validate what I'm thinking and feeling, I, I actually don't need them to agree with me. But I, I find that afterwards that first I think I do and at first I, I feel like I need a lot but I think once I get that validation I'm actually even just open to hearing a different thought maybe mm-hmm. even a corrective thought sometimes um, I think that a lot of times if I hear that too early I'm not open but yeah. if I can listen and get if someone listens to me and validates me so I'm, I'm eager to practice that myself with people and I think um I think two things that came to mind where it's, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of conversations in Orange County that um, have been attempted, but maybe not successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that uh, there's a lot of us that need to try it again. Mm-hmm. And um, I know how it feels to not want to try it again, because that did not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think we have such an opportunity now to go, but God is teaching us how to do it. We may not have been prepared when everything erupted or when social justice, you know, first started, all of this started happening. We may not have been ready, but we have this chance now to realize and learn and grow and try it again. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm eager to see us be able to put some of this stuff into practice. And I'm, I, you know, I, I think the other thing that really hit me was um, the thought of when you're trying to listen to somebody's pain, you're yeah. just trying to hold it for them for a while. Yeah. I think this is a, something that has uh, one of our many therapists, our family therapists helped me with this image that if you're, if you're listening to somebody that's in pain, really you have to picture yourself as a bucket, not a sponge. Because if you sponge it all in, then, you know, you're going to be all, full, you know, going to be filled up. Nice. But if you just sit and hold their pain for a while, then you mm-hmm. can pour it out. Mm-hmm. And that's really, um, that's really also one needs. I think I felt a big pressure to, to fix things for somebody when they came to me for advice or something. Like, oh, I, gotta, I guess I got to have an answer. I got to have an answer. I got to fix <laughs> as if people are problems to be fixed or, right. and, um, I think it helped me when I just stopped going, I don't, I don't need to, I probably just need to help hold their pain for a minute. And then, and then maybe there, there might be 
something to fix, who knows? Maybe just being with them wasn't enough. So I'm just eager for us to be able to grow and mature in this area in, in Orange County. So thank you for everything that you brought. Yeah. It's yeah. been so great. Amen. Um, so for the church, here's a couple things um, that I want to ask you to do. Um, and then uh, one more thing I want to share with you. And then I will close out this part of, of our discussion tonight with a prayer. And then those that want to stick around um, afterwards to continue to ask questions as long as Jennifer is willing, then uh, you guys can do that. Um, so Jennifer, thank you again for that. So, um, but church, I just, I wanted to encourage you to do a couple things. The first is um, just really meditate on um, some of the things that you've learned, especially about how much the heart of God is to care about people. And uh, I think that he wants us in the church to care about each other in that way. Um, so the more, more questions that you can ask of each other, you know, um, just what, what is your experience like or what, how did that feel for you um, as that was going on? Um, and just you know, learn to ask one another questions um, without feeling the need to try to you know, kind of fix somebody or, or um, even, even necessarily share how you think or how you feel. It is possible to have a conversation without having, without having to share exactly what you think. <laughs> I've learned this too. I don't always have to say what I think all the time. So that's, that's helpful. Um, so just, you know, I, I think that the, the more that we can learn to love one another, the way that Jesus loved us by listening to one another, I think will be really helpful. And then the second thing I want to ask you guys to do is um, if you did learn something tonight and something resonated with you, um, you know, the people um, in your small groups or in your ministry that may not have been able to be on the call tonight, um, or maybe that were resistant to being on the call for whatever reason, just want to ask you to share what you learned tonight. Just go ahead and pass this on, um, you know, in conversation, in a group chat um, at church on Sunday. Just say, ah, that thing on Friday night was so great because I learned this. Uh, we talked a lot about breathing. It was really helpful. Um, we did record it tonight so that people will be able to go back and watch it if they weren't able to see it tonight. But I think if they can hear that it was a positive experience for you, then that, that will help them um, be willing to kind of take the step into this and learn some of these things. And I think that'll be helpful. So um, with that, I really wanted to thank our diversity team, um, the squad for um, uh, organizing this. Uh, for making this possible and for reaching out uh, to Jennifer to have her be with us. We're really, really grateful to you guys. Um, and it's just great to be able to work together to be able to do that. Um, so that's it. Jesus is Lord. Amen. The tomb is empty and uh, God is good. So um, uh, hopefully we can become the church that he really wants us to be. So why don't we, uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll uh, close out this part of our night. Let's pray. Father, we're really grateful uh, just to be together tonight. God, thank you for the technology uh, to be able to meet like this. Um, and uh, God, we just desperately want to have your heart. And we desperately want to learn how to love people the way that you loved us. Um, God, I just, I pray that, that we can continue um, to become more and more like Jesus in this way. God, I pray that the older that we get, and many of us have been Christians for 25 or 30 years or longer, um, I pray that the older that we get, the more we become like Jesus. Mm -hmm. God, help us to not get dull and numb just because we're getting older, but God, instead, help us to become more and more devoted to you and following you. Um, 
God, I thank you for everything that Jennifer shared with us tonight and, and all of the research that she has done and the gifts that you've given her to be able to um, communicate this in such an amazing and helpful way for us. And, um, God, I pray that you will bless her ministry, bless her, her um, all the work that she's doing with so many people. Um, God, continue to help her to be able to help so many people. God, I pray that for the Orange County Church, that we will be able to take what we've heard tonight and really allow this to become a part of our culture, that our culture will change and become more empathetic and more loving in the way that we listen to one another and care for one another. Uh, God, we just, we do want to be like Jesus. We're so blown away by him and his love for us and him being the, the image of God and, and just completely embodying your love, but then that he would give himself for us. God, it blows us away. Um, and uh, we, we do just want to try to be like him. So we, we pray for your wisdom. Um, God, we pray for understanding. Um, uh, just like it says in Proverbs, that we'll just give everything that we have to be able to get understanding. Uh, God, I just, we, we really pray for you to guide us and help us to know where you want us to go. We love you so much, Father, and we're grateful for tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so Jennifer, why don't you go ahead and uh, wrap up those questions you had? Um, and then uh, we'll call it a night. Yes. What do you do when um, you are the person that's being open with someone in your life and they aren't having this lovely, empathetic response that you feel like you need? And how do you deal with the disappointment? <laughs> you know, in all reality, this happens quite a bit. Even in my professional life, I will have like an individual who's coming to see me professionally and I'm teaching them these skills and they're like, can I have my family member come in so that you can teach them how to respond? You know, um, because often uh, when we are learning about our need for empathy and our need for validation, that doesn't necessarily mean the person that we're talking to is doing their learning on how to give empathy and validation. Um, I think there's a couple different things that are important. There are times if you, if someone has the kind of relationship where they can be honest and say, Hey, um, I know I just shared and, um, you know, you, you shared with me what you would do and you, you, you gave me some ideas, but actually, you know, what I really needed is, was for you just to listen. So in some relationships, you can do a little bit of educating and just explain that I just, I just needed you to listen. And I, I didn't really need you to, to give me an answer. So there's that. If it's a, if it's a stronger relationship where they can take a little bit more, you can have a deeper conversation where you can say, Hey, can I talk to you about how you can be like this, where you apologize really quickly, or you get defensive when I share or da, 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 da. and I'm needing to, you know, to this, and you can explain to them what you need. But I would say before you tell either of those conversations, before you tell someone what you need, this is the softened startup, let them know a couple different pieces, like having that little bit of hey, was there anything about the way I said that to you, which was hard, where you're doing the learning first. I call it, in all reality, I call it the taking the one down stance. 
it's part of actually training for therapists. Take the one down stance where you're saying, help me understand, you know, if there was a way in which I was speaking that made that conversation difficult. So you start with the softened startup and then you move into, hey, can I share with you what it's like for me when you do this? The reality is too, sometimes even when you try and try and try, even with close relationships, they don't necessarily get there. As much as you need it, they might not get there. Um, I do think there's a certain amount of times where we do have to just pray that the Holy Spirit will work, that you've let them know what you need. And now, well, honestly, from the get-go, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world, right? In regards to sin and righteousness, and righteousness would be an empathic response. And so really asking for the Holy Spirit to work on them. Um, And then definitely, ultimately, this is a big one. Go get someone else with you. So um, I was, I'd been teaching on validation and empathy for about a decade when a woman that I discipled was kind of frustrated with some stuff she and I were going through and, and ways I was responding. And I said, you know what? Let's pull in. And I pulled in Terry Adame. She was discipling me at the time. Pray for Terry and Guillermo. I pulled t- Terry in and she sat down with the three. The, so the three of us sat down before church and this sister shared. And <laughs> I realized, I said, oh, you're wanting me to feel, you're wanting me to validate you. <laughs> and I teach on validation. But it, it took pulling in the third person to say some things to me to help me validate her, to even realize what she needed. So there's something quite powerful about the scriptures that say, you know, if someone sins against you, go and, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he doesn't listen, bring another someone else along. Um, but the other is true in Matthew 5. It says that if, um, if you have harmed someone else, then lay your gift at the altar and go meet with them. So in either direction, initiating a talk and at times and probably regularly pulling in a third party to say, Hey, can you help us? Because maybe that other person can really help them have empathy. So I do think ultimately sometimes when you're still not getting it, you just leave it to God. And, um, in my time this week, I've been having this wonderful time, just basking in, God's empathy and God's love for me. And so I think sometimes we have to really make sure that we go and get that there when we're not getting it from relationships where I think God intends it to come from. So I hope that's helpful. Um, okay. And then I had another one, Martine. Um, what are some tips to be more empathic? If you feel like you disagree with someone's belief system and why they are feeling the way they are feeling. Um, I do want to emphasize empathy, validation, and understanding doesn't mean agreeing. And I know I said it before. And then um, in the response, um, the sister just now shared that that was helpful to her. I think it's really important that a, a lot of times we feel like when we say, oh, so what you're feeling is, or, oh, so your view is this. We feel like when we let those words out of our lips, we feel like we're saying, I agree with you. (laughs) So I think a part of it is you recognizing that when you do that, 
you're not, even if they think you are, (laughs) you aren't. So resting in the fact that, you know, you're not saying, I agree. You're just saying, oh, well, that makes sense. So I would say that's the first part, really understanding your own definition of validation. When you validate others, that it isn't agreeing can be helpful. It can help you be more empathic. I would also say though, if someone disagrees, if you disagree with someone's belief system, and I'm not very good at this, so I'm just going to tell you what I think the answer is that I try to put into practice and that I even train other therapists in doing is find out their belief system, ask them about it. I, 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 um, this is a big one because I, I feel I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm supposed to tell the truth and they're supposed to believe the Bible. And if they don't, you know, so I think sometimes we can get so caught in our anxiety to promote the truth. And I think it's an anxiety sometimes it is for me anyway, that we can sometimes feel rushed to say the truth. And we go so quickly there instead of finding out why they do think like they think. So I would say, slow it down. I've said that a few times tonight, slow it down, take a breath and find out why they believe like they do. Um, I, I have members of my own family that have all kinds of different uh, spiritual beliefs. And I tell you, I'm not the good example of this. My sister-in-law who's Jewish is the good example. She's like, huh, why do you think that? And she just draws people out and I watch her and I think I need to be like her. So I think we just have to learn to, 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 to not feel like we have, okay, this is the cool thing in Psalms. David says that he will vindicate us. We don't have to vindicate ourselves. (laughs) He will vindicate us. So I think when we let ourselves off the hook of being the ones that have to vindicate and let God take care of it, we become better listeners. So I would say if you're specifically with someone who has different beliefs than you ask them questions. Um, this last one, I think is the last one I have Martine. Oh, there's two more. Um, uh, um, some share some info or practices that we can learn to help us increase our self-awareness about this was about our own emotions when we're interacting with people. And the, uh, simple way that I tell I actually do it with my clients <laughs> is I take a little drawing of a gingerbread man and I say, show me. And I give them crayons and colored pencils, even adults. Cause I actually, I'm, I completely work with adults now. And I say, where on the body do you feel it? And I had this um, one client, he was in his forties and he was very, very out of touch with his emotion. And we used just one time, but we used the gingerbread man and he put it in his hands and in his gut, in his stomach. And then I said, when you feel that anxiousness, that was the emotion he was talking about, that frustration. He didn't really know what names to give the emotion. He just felt it. I said, what color is it? I told him, give me a color and give me a sensation. Is it spiky? Is it soft? Is it hot? Is it mushy? Is it heavy? So he said it was black and heavy um, and it was in his gut. And he wasn't sure what emotion it was yet, but that he felt it pretty regularly. So um, we put some tentative words on it. I showed him some word lists. And then he came in the next week and he said, hey, that black heavy thing in my stomach, 
I felt it a few times this week. So sometimes I tell people the first place to start is recognize it somewhere in your body. A good way of beginning emotion identification is recognizing when your heart rate goes up, when your your, people will feel it across their, their brow, they'll feel it in their shoulders. They'll feel it in their jaw. They'll feel it in their hands or feet, like different pressures or tenseness or flutteriness, different sensations in the body. So I actually start people there. No, start paying attention. The next time you're in an interaction with somebody think, see if you can let in the thought of, huh, what's my body doing? And your body will tell you when it's all worked up. So I'd say start there. And then um, you can definitely use in the back of my book, The Art of Intimate Marriage, the very last part of the book is a list of emotion feelings, emotions. And I tell people, I just take them through the list. Do you feel this? Do you feel this? Does this word match? Does this word match? And they'll find two or three or four. And then they start putting a word to that sensation in their body. Okay, we'll have one more. Go ahead, Betty. First of all, thank you for taking the extra question. Um, my biggest question is that you said to start with you, with you as the individual. Um, I've been through some very tough times from childhood to now. Uh, and, you know, the in-between is like, go, go, go. You got, you know, you got, you got to grow. You got to go hunt for food, hunt, gather, raise your children. I haven't had the time to do that, to focus on me I know the emotions you know that I feel uh, I know the pain I know where I feel it and, and all that and now that now that my children are all grown up they're adults they're like mom you know they want to talk to me about things and I'm in like where are you coming from I mean you're I'm in I feel like I'm in left field all the time you know all the time so connecting the verbiage to the emotion, I'm always in tears. That's the first thing that always comes up. It's always tears. I want, if I'm mad, tears. If I'm, if, if I'm overexcited or happy, tears. If I'm hurt, tears. It's like really hard for them to have a conversation with me without them feeling that they're putting me in tears. And I don't want the tears. I don't, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with the tears. I'm like, uh-huh. look, I'm a strong individual Hispanic woman that I'm in my point of view, God has blessed me so many times. You know, I have successful children. I have a successful career. I have, uh, I'm, I'm blessed with church. I'm blessed with friends. I'm blessed with my family. So um, to have Right now, the connection with my children it, to have those deep uh, conviction conversations is really troubling. I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where we're now trying to seek help to be able to have conversations that doesn't involve me, you know, falling apart. Which, as like as you said, the very first thing is to get to know you. I can't, I can't get to the validation. I can't get to the listening or even, you know, I know the breathing technique and all that, but to get to me, it's like, I'm like stuck there and I don't even know why I have no idea. You know, I think we can be as a people, as a spiritual people who love Jesus, that we can be go, 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 go. And 
if I can just give a little bit of practical thoughts with that on where to give yourself the space and time to figure out how you feel so that tears can come, it's okay, but that they, you don't feel like they are controlling or they're the only thing that comes. And so, um, I would say, um, I, there's a book I'm, I'm, I just put it on the chat. It's my newest favorite. It's called the relentless elimination of hurry, <laughs> or maybe it's the ruthless elimination of hurry. I don't know why I keep getting the, that word mixed up, but he does, he's very funny, this author, but he does a really great job of kind of doing some practical ways of slowing down our life to give ourselves more room. He talks a lot about the Sabbath. He talks about um, simple practices to really change from being go, 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 go to, um, uh, to breathing. So I would say, start with a book like that to really start putting into practice in your life. So this is the thing I just taught to our ministers here in, in San Diego on self-care. We do not do a good job of teaching self-care um, as in our ministries. And here I'm teaching the ministers, but I, I'm like, everybody in the church needs this lesson on um, self-care and, and taking the space. I call it the mental and emotional space, but it's, it's a spiritual, mental, emotional space to figure out what, especially if you've got a trauma background, which it sounds like you do, especially if life's been hard, which for many of us here, it has, we need the, you know, the, the scriptures call the Holy spirit is our breath, right? But often we don't take the time to let his breath in. We don't take the time to let him soothe our souls. The Holy spirit is called the comforter for a reason. Second Corinthians uh, chapter one of that one, I said was one of my favorite scriptures about how God is the God of all comfort and the God of compassion. I went through some really hard things about six years ago. And actually I'm kind of in the middle of some really hard stuff right now. And I realized about six years ago, I had not let God be my comfort. I'm a doer. I, God is my rock. He's my refuge. You know, he's my strength. <laughs> and I go and letting God be my comfort, letting God be, I had to study God being my hiding place. So I went and I would highly recommend that if you haven't ever go study about God being David does such a good job of explaining God being our hiding place. So start with learning how to let God be your comfort, your hiding place. He is the God of compassion. Like start with knowing him, that's the biggest thing. I didn't even say that in the main lesson, knowing him, I sort of did knowing him is the answer, like knowing his character, not just reading the Bible and going to church, like knowing his character, understanding that he's the God of comfort and compassion, and then resting in his comfort, resting in his compassion. Honestly, it's a spiritual practice that we have kind of skipped as a spiritual body. And so I would highly recommend that. Yes. John Comer, uh, Ortberg is, um, some incredible books on this. Comer is the author of the, uh, relentless elimination of hurry. Yeah. Excellent. Jennifer, thank you so much. Once again, this has been such a, such a blessing. We look forward to hearing this again, grateful that it's, it's been recorded and thank you for the slides and 
we hope you continue to have a great time in Alaska and Thank you. come back to San Diego here soon. And we, we hope here as an Orange County region and in all of our sub ministries to be able to connect with your work. Uh, and so thank you. Thank you for who you are and thank you for all that you are doing uh, for such a time as this. For such so, a time as this. Yeah. <laughs> We're grateful for you.